This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 380, Metatractors. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Michael Rowe here on Friday. The time, the place that I get to talk about tech, gaming technology, and fun with my friend and co-host, Michael Martin. Yay, Michael. Glad to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is. And and we're missing our, our other co-host, Andy Piper, who's off on a geek day geek holiday uh, Nerdology? I don't know. No, I don't know what to call it. He's having fun. He's, he, He's having fun. Yeah. Watch him uh, on Twitter. Unlike that hard out. work when he does a podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, we miss you, so, Andy. Well, but, we miss you, Andy. But thank you for all the links. Cause... Yes. Yes. Starting with uh, a, a Twitter post from Kyle Weens, I believe is how you pronounce it. Weens, W-I-E-N-S. Let's go with uh, and, that. Um, a cool story out of, uh, I think this was out of DEF CON last week, or this week, uh, about jailbreaking John Deere tractors. Which, of course, you know, we, we really get into the, the can you make Doom play on it discussion. And uh, what this tweet actually shows is uh, the hack demonstrating that you can not only root the tractors... But you can do stuff with it by displaying Doom, a farm-based version of Doom, on the center console for the tractors. <laughs> which, which, of course, if you're out there in the fields, you know, doing what you do, you want to play Doom, right? You, you, because you need that BFG, you know, that big freaking grain. Yes. <laughs> Farming grain. Farm, yes, big farming green. That's it. That's it. That's uh, even better. Uh, maybe that should be the show title. BFG, big farming green. <laughs> anyway, um, what what what's actually uh, there's a there's a follow up article uh, that comes to us uh, from Wired, which actually goes pretty deep into what's going on with this with this uh, jailbreak that at uh, at DefCon, and this is actually the second year in a row that he's shown problems uh, with the security, the underlying security of the John Deere tractors. Um, and what's what's more interesting to me at least, yes, it's about the security because it's a DEF CON, but it's really how do you enable right to repair, right? Uh, and modern tractors uh, have gotten, and I think we've had stories about this over the last year or two, uh, have gotten not only more and more software driven, uh, but there, there's been a, a fight between the farmers and the manufacturers on who can actually update the software. Matter of fact, John Deere at one time was requiring that you had to either bring your tractor back to their authorized repair place to do a software update or have somebody come out 
to your farm and make the fix, which could be scheduled for weeks from now. And if you're in harvesting season or planting season, every day is critical, right? So, so that's one of the reasons why there's been significant pushback by by the farming industry uh, against these type of lockdowns. And what what's interesting about this hack is it shows how how easy it is to get around it. Right. Last year, um, uh, Sick Codes, who is the the hacker from Australia who demonstrated this hack, he actually showed security flaws last year, uh, and that was a big problem because you would have to wait for somebody to come out in weeks, or you'd have to take it to you know take your tractor off the field, bring it to the shop to be repaired, and so John Deere finally relented and allowed for over the air updates. <laughs> to to fix those security flaws, uh, but what he uncovered as he delved deeper into these machines is they're running unpatched Linux, which, you know, big no-no there, and Windows CE. Do you, do you remember what the CE stood for in in um, Windows CE? I had customer was experience. It, or was it that or was it cellular edition? Um, it was designed for small embedded devices. Yeah, exactly. I, I do remember. You're right, and and having the over the air updates is certainly good. I mean, that's what Tesla and other vehicles. However, um, the the things that struck me too are like, well, what's the modem structure, right? So they're saying here it's LTE, LTE. which is still available and still in widespread use, but for how long? Given the when is that going to be deprecated? So then you have the opportunity for man-in-the-middle kind of attacks too if you were to say well i'll just use the cellular modem on my phone to connect with about it that way so there's like security elements all over the place here and all you need is one set of malicious actors to do the wrong thing and um gosh what, what would you say happens to your tractor if it's no longer operable, is it siloed? Uh, is it? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, right? But it could, it yeah. could put you out of commission, right? It went to a farm upstate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, and I, I it, but I, I really think, like I said, there's two aspects to this. There's the security aspect, which is a huge problem, yep. right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, and and as you call out. You know the cellular infrastructure is changing. Um, matter of fact, I, I've been offered by uh, uh, our 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 Amazon overlords um, to get a special discount if I'll replace my my Kindle, which has a cellular modem in it, uh, because it's no longer supported. Right? Oh, that that is a three G modem. So 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 good thing is it still works with wireless. So whatever. Right. Uh, but the the point is you get these devices with an expectation of connectivity because of all the features that you're buying with these devices uh and when that cellular infrastructure changes you know replace you know, replacing a tractor you know tractors are it's a significant expense half a million dollars and up Right, <laughs> I mean, these are extremely expensive equipment. Well, and they're right? they're connected systems too in many cases. Yes. right. They have satellite connections. But, they know about specific about what. Is well, yeah, because what land. you can do is you can do precision farming right, with them. Right. right, you you use satellite infrastructure, GPS positioning, etc. All of these are software driven features. Sure, right. 
right? And so, so then that gets into the other half of the story, which is the right to repair. If Again, if you spend a half a million dollars on a piece of equipment to run your business, i.e. your farm, you think you own it. But if you can't do anything to it to repair, right? Um, the, the, the lockdowns were at one point in time, if I remember the timeline correctly, were doing things like you couldn't even change the oil without a software issue, right? Wow. There, there were mechanical things that were locked down. And again, when you're talking about an, an entire industry that is driven by weather and timing of the sun and the earth rotation around the sun, you end up in a situation where right to repair is critical for you to stay in business. Right. Uh, And so unless they're going to have an army of readily available people to repair things in the drop of a dime, you need to have that right to repair. And so that's the bigger issue, I think, uh, that will drive uh, changes in this space, because if you're locking it down more and more and more. Then you are having a direct impact based off of a software decision on the ability to literally put food on people's tables. May, may well be, and I think that'll have a direct ripple effect into the, the security elements. And if you think about the, the president's executive order from chain security, that's going to be a common issue here, too, because if you do have that right to repair, may well be an obligation of, of the device or the tracker or whatever to take on those patches or supply chain security for the nation's farming. So, 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 so I, I, I get that. So let me ask you the question. So do you think John Deere should take a, a, um, a page out of Apple's playbook where, where you can do your screen replacement by signing up for a, a, a shipment of two massive boxes of equipment that matches the equipment that's spent in that's bought to, to, to replace the glass in an Apple store. So can you are you saying that for the right to repair only extends as far as the right to buy and own the appropriate OEM equipment, and tools to repair it in order to adhere to supply chain security. I'm not suggesting anything. All I'm putting forward is that with the, the, the connected systems that we have, critical nature of those systems, just like just like in our transportation networks, the farming environment is is potentially susceptible issues and should have the similar right so 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 i i agree so they should have well-constructed security aspects uh but let me let me let me talk about precision farming again right (laughs) so do i need to be connected to use uh, a gps nope no do I need to be connected to precision farming? Because if it's GPS positioning against my fields that are mapped out by my tractor on my land with my GPS signal that I'm getting from the satellite, I would say, nope, don't need connectivity there. Well, well just, just ask your friends over at Roomba how they feel about that. Oh, you mean Amazon? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
So, so I think, like I said, there, there, there's a lot of different things in play here. Right, there's the supply chain issues. There's the right to repair issues. Do you own the thing that you bought? Or, if you or own it, do you have the right to fix it? Yeah. Are you licensing it? Right. I mean, there there's a huge market still of getting unconnected tractors. Yeah. People want the old ones because they can fix them. Yeah. Well, no, from the ones <laughs> right? from 1940, um, you're still out there trucking around or tracking around. Exactly. Driving around. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Farming around. Uh, Farm. So. <laughs> anyway, so 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 you think about this, and and you end up in a situation where the complexity of these types of stories require complex answers. Right. It's it's not simple. It's not direct. There's more to it, right? And and this particular it, it, this particular environment is lends itself well to some of these from from a right to repair. At the hardware level, right? So the, the suspension, all the elements of the tractor, as well as the software that makes it go, right? Because it's got more. Well, yeah, because the fuel injector, right? Yeah. That's software driven. Yeah. Even though it's a mechanical process, right? So, so how do you balance that? Well, so we have another interesting tweet that we tweet from DEFCON 2 about uh, an enterprising student who took it upon themselves to, um, uh, I want to say, had use his right to repair in a, kind of a senior pranky sort of way um, to showcase his uh, security chops to the entire school district. There, there's actually this is a good story. Isn't it? Uh, again, it's it's a it's a multi-year story, oh. just like the tractor story. Yes, because during COVID lockdown. He actually did use his security chops to show the school district all the vulnerabilities. Right. And they said, thank you. Yep. So then what do they do with those? he's in his senior year. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he looks and he goes, oh, my God, they didn't fix them. <laughs> so so uh, he took upon himself, as you say, to um, do a nice little... Uh, exposure of these vulnerabilities in the most entertaining fashion. And there's a, if you scroll through the, the attached Corey Doctro thread that we have in the show notes, you'll actually see a student who walks around the school when the vulnerability or, or the, or the project is successfully launched. And uh, it's a blast. Yeah. And, and the, the, the punchline to all this too, is that um, after watching this video, that the student did trigger an automatic large set of documentation about exactly how um, the, the student and the accomplices were invited to uh, district security staff and, and just to let the student do, took over all, all of the televisions, projectors, everywhere in the entire school district, and rickrolled the entire school at the end of school. Took special care to make sure testing going on. Had well, it was at the end of the class day, right? Yeah. It, it's like, oh, look, there's an announcement happening in a minute and a half, yep. but the bell's going to ring in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so people yeah. were there. Uh, interesting code, too. So if you turned off your screen, 
there was a nice loop in the code that would turn on the screen again and put the volume up again. So that was all taking place. Really clever stuff. And uh, while, while, while no ricks were harmed, in uh, the student and students involved also, at least um, reportedly, did not suffer actions here because it was not done maliciously. Nothing was hurt or harmed. Uh, but it was pretty funny uh, to be able to, to do this and to provide the security insight back to the school. Yep. Good stuff. Oh, Good stuff. Pretty darn funny. Um, all right. Well, well, I think we're into the meat of the show now. Oh, maybe. <laughs> we have the appetite. That's right. And, and it's something that fits right into our theme for, for our podcast in general, uh, which is gaming technology and fun. <laughs> It's the metaverse. So, 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 Michael, is the metaverse a place? Sesame Street. Um, we we have we have a pair of articles that uh, have some stories, that interactions. One is from O'Reilly. Uh, the metaverse is not a place. It's uh, the particular article stipulates that it is. We'll chat about that. And there's another article defining the metaverse as a new internet experience built by gamers, which, again, like Michael said, really goes to the heart of where we started this. Yes. Oh, just a few. <laughs> uh, why these sort of things are important. So, so the O'Reilly article stipulates it's no place. Uh, it is not is ubiquitous. It is across all immersive that aligns to augmented reality, which is then the ability to see the data that is flowing. Uh, very matrix-esque. No spoilers. Uh, what what I really liked about about the O'Reilly article um, is the idea of reinforce reinforced learning, right? Uh, that that's kind of a, a, a undercurrent through the article, uh, which is when you talk about laying down connections between, uh, and as those connections get exercised more and more and more, they become more important. Uh, and that those important connections are really kind of laying the foundation for that connective communications infrastructure that needs to be in place for the metaverse. Um, and they talk about it from the standpoint of various different technologies and tools and things like, mm -hmm, uh, if you remember that tool, uh, I still, I, I, I still play with that every so often, but you know, <laughs> Given the, the Zoom slash WebEx slash team slash FaceTime world we live in, oh yeah, and Skype, <laughs> uh, I, I don't need another one. Uh, but uh, the, the way that you can present information through a communications medium uh, is really changing. Uh, and it's that aspect 
of the metaverse that I think becomes kind of important as the building blocks for all this, right? The, the fact that you can't have um, a, a single platform being it, uh, but it, as you say, it's the connective tissue between. It's that infrastructure. And, and we've talked about this, as you say, you know, for a couple of days now, a uh, couple counted in, you know, four digits of days or more. <laughs> I'm trying to think, is it five digits by now? It might be five. Um, and and we, we get into kind of the concepts behind um, how do you build this out? Uh, and uh, how do you how do you extend it in such a manner uh, that it becomes of value to people? And that I think then takes us into the next article of really defining that that space, right? Uh, I also like the, the the concepts behind how realistic do things have to be, and this is in both articles, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you look at things like like Zoom and mm-hmm, and others, you are photorealistic because it's a video, right? <laughs> Um, if you look at things like um, the, the the quest environment, uh, etc., uh, those tend to be more cartoony. But we're trying to bring things closer together. And then, is that important? Do you need that? Really talks to what we see in the second article on the experience and the interaction drives the the sense of place. Uh, so I don't necessarily need high resolution graphics. I can have a boxes ahead, and it'd be just as engaging, right? So um, a lot of interesting thoughts that I thought the, the O'Reilly article uh, set everything up, and then the the article from uh, Hacker Noon kind of goes down to the technical level that I think is. It is, it is, but I'm not ready to leave O'Reilly just yet because part of what O'Reilly okay. had to talk about in the beginning was the. Um, the distance both in physical space and time too and this goes back to some work that you and i had done together and that we've got the patents in these spaces as well that really focus in on in terms of space right so you're not in the same physical location and you can so the the example from tim o'reilly is um, an exercise class that he does with his um, using a recorded session from others. And what's kind of cool about that is the notion that you are experiencing something in your now, like those of you who are listening to this podcast, that's your now and our now. It's our now now too. That our now is right now. And we can't necessarily interact with you other than our voices in our now, but there are implications and potentially thoughts that we trigger in your head that is part of podcasting, part of video, part of all these other things, right? And that's how you can engage. You can engage by going to your favorite podcatcher and rating us a five. Yes. Or by by tweeting at us at games at work underscore biz, interesting articles you'd, you'd like to learn more about. Or by just visiting our website at gamesatwork.biz and uh, posting a comment to this show, which is episode 380. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And in and, and doing so, you're able to do something a little bit different than the author of 
a book can do because it's really not that far a leap when you think about it that when you write a book, you're engaging with a conversation in conversation and what was the author had put on paper at that particular to potentially create something new. So uh, the metaverse is in the place. So I, I, I agree with that from the article. It is this overlaying of data that can allow for fourth. I don't know that I would say, all right, let's go back to Gutenberg and say, oh, okay, that was the foundations of the metaverse. But Cave paintings. Or, yeah, or, or, yeah or, <laughs> or before, right? Because uh, there's distribution, right? The cave paintings are good too, but that's only... Right? Uh, you, you couldn't take a picture of that and send it around... Well, you friends. could, but you'd have to have a really big rock and draw it on that rock and carry that <laughs> <Sure>. with you. <laughs> so so the, the second article, as, as you said, Michael, re- really takes us down a, another set of, of technical elements about what is the metaverse and how does it forward and what does it mean and how has this been architected? So... The, the first bit that, that I know you were really intrigued by is this notion of the uh, seven layer dip. Uh, seven layers of the metaverse and kind of these concentric circles. I know, Hakeem, and you're hungry. <laughs> it could be. No, no. I, and, and, and you know, as an architect, you always think about the stack. Or the cake right? or the burger. Right. And, and so, so, so it's a way of defining the layers is another example of defining those things that need to be connected together to a level of, you know, abstraction to give the end solution of whatever you're defining. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we look at the, the, the seven layers of the metaverse as defined in this uh, related article from John Radoff, um, you, you end up with interact infrastructure, right? The actual technical platforms, um, the interface to that infrastructure, whether that's web or AR or VR or mobile or, or whatever, right? Um, then you take that and you distribute it so it's accessible in lots of different places, not just ways. So edge, uh, agents, services, blockchain, whatever. Then you add on top of that kind of, I'm going to say experience, which is the highest level, but the foundation of that experience, which is the three-dimensional aspect of computing. So we're talking, you know, 3D engines, uh, XR, etc. Then how do you build stuff on that? So that's the creator economy. How do you get to it? So the discovery aspects, whether it's through ads or social networks or or some kind of agent or whatever, and then ultimately the experience itself. So games, shopping, uh, entertainment experiences, etc. Right. So so when you think of it from that perspective and all these layers of the metaverse, one of the great things that come into play is, from a business perspective, every layer has is part of a value chain that allows you to capture some of that value. So that means the metaverse as defined in this model has a huge opportunity for growth and value to be captured uh, to make money off of it. So 
you might decide I'm a creator, so I'm going to be in that area, but I need to understand below it so I know where I stand in the value chain in order to define how to price what I do, uh, what my expectations for growth are, etc. Um, and and then from a consumer perspective, you have to decide what's important to you, right? Which will then ultimately tie you down to a specific, uh, tie is the wrong word, but, but target you towards a specific offering. For example, with this seven layers, I may only want um, to be in a world that is highly immersive, that is available from a fixed location that does concerts, right? So, so that that's kind of defined the technology stack and the people that I will interact with ultimately uh, to get you know see a concert in a VR headset, right? Uh, that doesn't mean there's not other ways that people can achieve that experience, but that will be my entry into this space uh, to engage as a consumer. So the importance of these types of layer stacks is to understand that value and that set of potential offerings that show up. That's why I like these things. What are your thoughts on it? You know, I'm, I'm right there with you like how John has kind of constructed this because it appeals to the architect thing that makes me think a little bit right so when you think about lives or the blocks or whatever um, there, there are the platforms that span a multiplicity of both for content as well as navigate. So we've spent plenty of time talking before about elements that can span. We've talked a lot about trying to establish a compelling enough channel through these layers to make for the experiences and the discovery. So that, that's that's kind of what's going through my head right now. Base layer, platforming kind of stuff, right? Leave that as it were. Interesting elements are gonna be the spatial search and discovery the experience for the consumption of what is created. So that, that, that is kind of where the portion of what for how we interact. Well, uh, I, 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 I agree with that. And <laughs> um, as I was talking about value capture, right? Yep. Um, for this to be successful, there has to be an appropriate value capture at every layer of this. And there, there are examples, uh, for example, Roblox, right? Uh, where the, the platform is consuming upwards of 75%. Is it Roblox? Yeah, well, that's, 75% that's of, of the value for the creator. 
So, so, so that means it will be harder for creators on that platform to make a living, which long term should have a detrimental effect for that platform. Right. It sets uh, up the competition. Meta's doing the same thing with a 30% base fee plus 25 on top of that, right? So I think from a having the metaverse survive long term, you have to give every layer an appropriate amount of the value capture potential. And if you squeeze those out, you end up breaking the metaverse. Well, if you're describing what I'll coin out of that, right? The metaverse value added says that at every stage, as you're going down, you're now going to say, what's the value capture? And I would not disagree with you at all that that is a valuable thing to do. Um, however, there, there is also going to be the market pressures that if you've got a Roblox kind of environment that says, hey, 5% fees, well, how's that different or from the publishing industry? If I'm an author. Well, what's happened in those industries? Self-publishing. Yep. Self-publishing of music, right? And, and that's my point. I mean, you're hitting my point exactly. There, there has to be enough value, not a tax. I, I, I know you're using that as a way of expressing it. Yep, yep. But, but as a means for every layer, if those are the right layers, yep. every layer has to be able to be a profitable business, even if that business is one person. Sure. Right? Otherwise, people uh, won't do it. Because without, you won't have that layer because you're not going to do that. Now, if I'm the all-consuming end platform that assumes that I own all of it, yeah, some of those layers exist, but they don't have to be profitable, right? Right. Because you you bundle that in, and that's the monopoly power. But from a from an ecosystem perspective, from a market perspective, from the metaverse becoming something real that has a long-term potential, then you have to have an understanding of the business model of every layer, and that model has to be sustainable they do and, and that will leverage market forces to right so if if 5g doesn't exist as the infrastructure for wireless and and it is paid for through soon for this and there may be further monetization right so that that's now largely gone you, you we're not paying per text anymore back in the day so so there there's some things that will become simpler and allow for more value to be created elsewhere so case in point there, case in point this, yeah. this week i was uh, spending some time with my son taking university of north carolina school One of the intriguing things that crossed my mind while I was there, and I spoke with the community and staff around this, is that the um, elements around wig and makeup, costume design, scenic construction, that are all elements of elements of filmmaking and a whole lot more, have a direct connection into this kind of a construct for where the metaverse is going. If you think about the value that can be created by folks that are skilled in the art, um, there are plenty to be constructed 
underpinnings, as well as those that have business compelling to be able to leverage them. We had that digital twin conversation, just case in point, right? If you have a compelling digital twin, it is a whole lot more interesting than one a, a, a box for a head. And do you need to have it be ultra, ultra realistic and get past the whole uncanny valley thing? Uh, maybe not, right? Maybe not. But it struck me that here you have an amazing school of design that has been focused on doing things like the, the sound engineering and sound design for a particular concert. You could replicate 3D space. You can model it just like an architect where the light would then you're saving when you actually go through the physical construction. And you have a virtual duplicate that allows for others that are not physically there or not temporarily there to benefit from. Really love how this kind of connects current world, things we've been talking about for decades and what is, Literally, <laughs> what is available and what is now coming to the fore that you don't need to have crazy supercomputer level kinds of investments. Exactly. So I, I think we are just about out of time. So oh my we've goodness. Got two quick hits. Yes. <laughs> Uh, one of them is uh, a really cool uh, tweet from uh, Kel Savage, who's playing around with uh, Midjourney. Uh, and I know ePred's been playing with Midjourney and a couple of others, uh, which is another one of these open AI-based tools to automatically generate uh, art. Um, and, and he's taking an output of a space suit that he had generated with from Midjourney and then uh, sorry, a steampunk spacesuit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I just think is cool. Um, and then taking the output of that and turning it into something much more powerful by using Blender. Really cool pictures. Loved it. Very cool. Um, and then the other one, I think this one from Andy is specifically for you. Oh, so, yeah. So, 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 Michael, tell us about it. Super fast. It is uh, from Ars Technica and brings Elvish keyboard. So uh, this is built on Drop's November release of the Lord of the Rings keycap sets. And uh, there's all kinds of good stuff here. The shards of the sword for the anarchy, uh, the tree from Lothlorien, uh, and all of the, looks like the Tengwar. Um... Yeah, I was about to say, I like the Dwarvish one. The, you know. So good, uh... good stuff. Definitely do check that out. And, and Andy, while he's away, he's actually texting us right now about other links like awesome stuff. Very cool. We we should throw that in the show notes for our listeners, and and maybe they can go over to games that dot biz and comment on. Be pretty awesome, and we will take maybe a deeper look at it next week, or maybe not. There'll be other things or maybe we got to talk about. Things change. <laughs> There's temporal aspects of what we talk about each week. <laughs> exactly. All right, Michael, I had a lot of fun with you today. This was this was a great show. I really agree. And uh, thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time at gamesatwork.biz. See ya. See ya. You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network. 
and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. Music